so there's a character and they start talking and then it builds just from a spoken moment? Yeah, like, you know, there could be two characters talking at a table, not unlike us. Yeah. And, you know, they're having a conversation and one's just like, you know, I guess I don't really know about that kind of stuff. Maybe I don't really know about anything. Maybe I've never known anything at all in this world. I've travelled my whole <laughs> life. Shh. Greetings! My name is Alexi Toliopoulos. And my name is Susie Youssef. This is the Big Film Buffet. Where we serve up a three-course cinematic degustation inspired by today's film, Over the Moon. The feast begins with a tantalising starter of an iconic classic from film history. That flavour sensation continues to build into our main course, the Netflix movie of the week. We'll continue to gorge ourselves into piglets when we reach a dessert of further recommendations. I'm actually worried about that happening. You've seen how I look at those computer-generated mooncakes, haven't you? Yes, I have, and I'm into it. Alexi, every time I watch an animated film, I can't stop thinking about the food. It is second to none. It's one of my favourite life experiences. It's better than real food. <laughs> it is. I don't know how they do it. They can make the presentation perfect. They can make a chicken gleam with its glistening <laughs> dew as beautiful as it can possibly be. One of my favourites is obviously yep. Ratatouille. The food looks sensational. Looks incredible. One of the best food movies of all time. One of the best movies about criticism of all time. Could not agree with you more. But I think the OG is Snow White. So oh, apple. Yes. I'm not even a big Apple fan. I can't stand them. My least favorite fruit. And I remember watching that as a kid and just requesting, Mother, bring me a red apple, please. I must munch on it. But then there's all those other moments in cinema history like Beauty and the Beast. Mm. be our guest number. Yes, try the grey stuff. It's delicious. Don't believe me? Ask the dishes. (laughs) (laughs) We lost it already. It's way too early to be this giggly. But I think there's just something about food in animated films with no budget restrictions, no waste at the end. It's guilt-free watching. Mm. And I think at least two of the movies we're going to be talking about today feature food in a very prominent and beautiful and delicious role. Totally. And before I start Googling how to ship mooncakes to my house, I really (laughs) think that we should get rolling on this first trailer. I love to hear about the moon goddess. Again? Tell me, Mama. A beautiful woman and a handsome man were in love. But... She accidentally took a magic potion and floated away, leaving her true love behind. Now she waits for him on the moon. Oh, the poor lady, that goddess. So lonely up there on the moon, dreaming of her one true love. Holy! It's just a silly myth. It's not a silly myth. It's real. She's on the moon right now, waiting for her true love. Right, Papa? Uh. He used to believe in her. If Papa could only believe again. It's you and me, Bungie. We're the last true believers. We're going to prove she's real. I have a superpower. No barriers! Papa, he ran into a wall. Uh. 
We're both crying. <laughs> we actually both have little tears in our eyes. I think there's something about that inspirational string swelling that happens in that. Yeah, it's unavoidable. It doesn't matter if you're in the <laughs> best place in the world. As soon as those strings start, you're gone. I think this is actually a really good trailer for this film because this is a fantasy movie yeah. and I'd say 90% of it is grounded in the reality of this film and you just get a little sneaky taste of it. A tiny taste. A tiny taste of where she goes on this journey and it definitely makes you want to watch the film. Yeah. And it makes you have that idea that you're yourself are about to set off into a journey without spoiling any of like the gorgeous look of what this fantasy world looks like. You also get a tiny nibble of the fact that it's going to be a musical. So mm. you just get that one little snippet of a song, but that is by no means the only song in the film. It is a musical. We are announcing it now. It is official. Over the Moon is officially a musical movie. <laughs> This is the first animated film that we've spoken about on the podcast, so congratulations. <laughs> yes, congratulations on to you as well. <laughs> but it's not just animated films that we're talking about today. We're going to go a bit more specific and talk about animated fantasy films. Yeah, and fantasy is a really big and diverse genre, and Over the Moon falls into one of the most cherished categories of fantasy storytelling, the portal fantasy. That's exactly what it is, a portal fantasy, which seems self-explanatory, but just in case someone doesn't <laughs> fully understand the genre, can you just give me a run? Down. Yeah, a portal fantasy is kind of a fantasy with two worlds in it. One is our real normal world that we would recognize. It feels like reality. And then a, usually a young person from that world walks or somehow magically transports through a portal into an imagined fantasy world of make-believe and imagination. Okay, so give me examples. Well, for example, a portal could be a cyclone. You're just sitting in your house and the cyclone comes, sweeps you up, takes you to a far-off oh, land. Yeah, and everything seems so dull and boring and now all of a sudden it's like it's in technicolor. Yeah, something yes. beautiful like that. Or you could just be like an orphan who goes into a wardrobe and walks through it and hang on a second, there's snow in this wardrobe in a whole new fantasy world. Yeah, or- there's some hot guy with hooves. It's <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, the hot hooved guy comes in and he's got no shirt on. Or it could be a rabbit hole or it could be a looking glass, which okay. I think is a mirror or something. Yes, I get this. So it could be like a board game. There's like an ominous drum and then yes. suddenly bang, you're somewhere else. <laughs> or it could be the second start of the ride, then you just go straight on to the morning and a whole new place. It could be a book with a medallion of two snakes hanging out on top of it. Or it could even be something as simple as a wall on a train platform that somehow you can walk through and get onto one of the most glorious trains that there could ever be. Or in the case of today's main course, it's a rocket that goes to the moon via some sort of astral belt <laughs> assisted by some dragons. Yes, and takes us into a beautiful, more colourful and overexposed fantasy land. Totally. The thing that I love about these types of movies is that they really connect with, with kids. Like it's It allows them to kind of bring mm. a bit of their own imagination and magic to the reality of their world and to bring to life a secret world that they have within themselves yeah. as well. A lot of these fantasy worlds is like building out of like what this child fears, out of like yeah, the fears of totally. their subconscious, the things that they love, the things that they hope and wish for. And the great thing about it is the characters in these sorts of fantasy animation films, they all make mistakes. So sometimes they're huge mistakes and you're not sure if they'll come back from them, but it's never the end of the mm. world. So they get to face their fears, they get to learn from them, they get to grow. And for kids and adults with 
anxiety disorders, there is that sort of sweet relief in this genre. Yeah, that's a big part of it. A lot of these worlds in these films can be read as imagined constructs from the minds of these characters based on their fears, their dreams, or whatever is floating up in their subconscious. Like in Wizard of Oz, when Dorothy comes back and realises that all the people that she knew in Kansas were actually underneath all that toxic 1930s lead-based makeup in Oz. (laughs) It's the sort of stuff of actual escapism. So if you're an adult like myself and Alexi allegedly are, then (laughs) you can still totally enjoy animated fantasy because it gives you that kind of little trippy break from your adult brain in a chemical-free safe environment. So our starter this week is a true classic of the animated fantasy that I would say is one of the most deeply beloved films of all time and worthy of being in the same conversation as The Wizard of Oz. So let's cross the river into Hayao Miyazaki's magical film... Spirited away. It's an abandoned theme park. See? Where are you going? You said just a quick look. Now let's go back. Hey! This is the story of 10 year old Chihiro and her parents who stumble upon a seemingly abandoned amusement park. They don't realise that they've trespassed into a fantasy realm and when her mother and father can't stop eating this incredible feast in front of them, they turn into giant pigs. Here, Chihiro meets the mysterious Haku, who explains that the park is a resort for supernatural beings who need a break from their time spent in the earthly realm and she must work there to free herself and her parents. Mm. What a premise. Oh, I love this movie so much. This is such a classic portal fantasy film. This film has carried so much meaning for me. I remember just falling in love with it when I was a young kid, seeing it for the first time. I must have been about 10 or 11 years old, and I was just entranced by how sublime it was. Mm. I think it was the first time I'd felt something outside of my comfort zone, something that felt divine and poetic. Did you feel scared? I did feel scared. The idea of transgression is so like apparent in this movie as it is in like a lot of these fantasy yeah. portal films. The parents start gorging and they turn into those pigs. That idea as it's presented in this film really struck me as something like deeply unsettling yeah. that they are no longer in their human form. And I think it was really captured that idea of like doing something bad and here's the consequence. Yeah, exactly. And I wish I had the excuse of watching this as a child for how scared I got watching it. I watched it 17 years after it won the Oscar for Best Animated Feature, which is to say that I watched it this year, and I absolutely loved it. But that's not to say I wasn't really scared in it. It's such a sophisticated film, Mm. and for a kid who grew up pretty much on a strict diet of, like, Looney Tunes and Disney, at first I thought, this is quite a bizarre story, and Mm. if you break it down, I think most animations are quite bizarre and kind of borderline horror film worthy, Mm. the way that you can describe them. If it wasn't for like a cute song or a comic relief character, they are really scary films. Mm. But I actually remember the moment when Miyazaki won the Oscar for this film because I adore Steve Martin and he mm. was introducing, I think he was hosting the he show He must have been year, hosting, yeah. And he was introducing Cameron Diaz and he had a really great gag. It was the first Academy Award to be handed out that night. So the beautiful Cameron Diaz walks out on stage. and Princess she, Fiona herself. Princess Fiona herself. <laughs> and then she introduces the category by saying, once upon a time parents took their children to see animated features, but today's animation has reached such a level of sophistication that children now take their parents. And I was wow. like, that is so on point for Spirited Away. Yeah, I love these movies so much. I 
recently bought all of them on Blu-ray because I was like, I got to watch them all. And then literally a week later, they all announced that they were all coming to Netflix. I was just about to say, <laughs> do you know that they are all on there? And you know what? I love them that much. I'm like, you know what? I don't feel bad about that because now I get to have them all forever, but now everyone else gets to watch them as well. For those who aren't aware, give me a bit of a Studio Ghibli 101. Well, it's a creative Japanese animation studio. Mainly the creative forces behind it are Hayao Miyazaki and Isao Takahata, who between them have made some of the most like deeply moving and imaginative Japanese anime movies of all time. And this is a studio that's really informed by the storytelling of Walt Disney animated movies. They take those animated movies and then retranslate them and kind of capture the magic that they felt when they saw those films as a young person and breathe a new life into them. Can you talk to me about the aesthetic because it's quite different to what you would be used to as far as like a Disney or a Pixar or a Looney Tunes or whatever. Like there's just mm. something a little bit different about them. I would say that kind of what you're hitting on is like there's a somberness to them. Yeah. That elevates both the magic and the reality of them that kind of like allows the emotions to sing really true yeah. and feel very evocative. I think the emotion is also aided by the fact that the animation itself is stunning. Like mm. There was about a hundred times during this film that I wanted to just freeze frame and take that picture and hang it on my wall. It's so beautiful. It's so dreamlike. The music is mostly orchestral, I think, yeah. in, in Spirited Away, and it elevates the whole thing. These very much are the definition of hand-drawn animation. Yep. It's very handcrafted. You can see the lines. You can see that these images have been drawn by hand, and a lot of modern animation here in the West does not follow that tradition anymore. Yeah. The other thing I noticed about Spirited Away and the level that it has reached and why it absolutely deserved the Oscar that it received is the crying. We have to talk mm. about the crying. These aren't, these aren't sideways tears. These aren't kind of trickling zigzags. They aren't down. little droplets. It's not like that. These are big, fat, emotional tears that came out, not just from the characters, yeah. but also from us just watching the film. There's like a gravity to them where you can just feel the heft of these tears. And like when you watch a Miyazaki movie, I think because like they do speak so poetically that they kind of just tap into your own emotions where you're just like, oh, I have those heavy tears too. When we talk about Japanese anime, we often have this discussion, this discourse around a debate whether you go subs or dubs. Subs versus dubs, subtitles versus dubbing. I'm definitely a subtitles person, but I watch subtitles with a lot of films. Mm. I'm just that person. I'm going to admit my great shame. I'm a dub. You're a dubber. I'm a dub head, dude. Wow. I, think... I didn't think you would take those dub steps. <laughs> I'm going to say... get torn apart online for saying this, but you know, <laughs> well, I hate books and reading subtitles is like reading a book. <laughs> But I love that moment when you're watching a subtitled film and then mm. you forget that you've been reading yeah. for two and a half hours or whatever it is. I think it's really great. Well, you've put me to shame, Susie. I think another thing that I would say is key to this movie and probably key to the next one we're going to talk about as well is that it has this idea of tradition and that tradition and superstition is really where reality meets the supernatural. Yeah, I totally. think that's key to this type of fantasy movie. Well, sumimasen, Alexi, and arigato gozaimashita to Spirited Away because it is now time to respectfully cross back over the river and sail past the sunset to our premiere flick this week, Over the Moon. A bright young girl, a dazzling adventure, and a mythical goddess whose story takes her to the moon and back. This film was written by the late Audrey Wells, and at the helm is the director, Glenn Keane. 
I think we need to start talking about this movie with its cast. Newcomer Kathy Ang plays Feifei, and she's joined by an ensemble cast of Philippa Su from Hamilton, Ken Jong, great comedy hero, John Cho, Margaret Cho, and Sandra Oh. The list literally goes on and on. I love Sandra Oh. She has this gravity to her voice that makes me feel so calm. So even though I wasn't really sure when we were introduced to her if we're supposed to like her character or not, because I have learnt from my animated history <laughs> that if there is the potential stepmother in a story, that I should possibly be scared, but I love that she brought a steadiness and a warmth to that character type and that character. Hi, Feifei. I didn't want you to miss dessert. Oh, um... I saved you a special mooncake from my hometown. Without dates. Uh... Every lead voice actor here in this film is an Asian-American film star, and so are much of the crew, which was a very conscious decision. And what I like about this is that it doesn't feel like a tokenistic gesture. It genuinely feels like some of the biggest actors in Hollywood today are able to shine in these roles. We've got Ken Jong playing like this magical sidekick who is this very luminescent green kind of reptilian creature that I just found so funny. It just feels so like in his voice and in his tone that even at times I thought this creature, while bizarre and imagined, felt and looked like Ken Jong. I totally agree. And it wasn't distracting in any way. It just made me love him in the same way that I loved him in The Hangover mm. or Crazy Rich Asians. He was just this great comic relief character. Yes, I totally agree. In the first episode, Susie, we talked about how important it was for us seeing Looking for Ala Brandi when we were young and feeling like we were represented in film. Yeah, exactly. I think this film carries a lot of those same feelings, that feeling of otherness, of being othered and seeing your story or your family or even just the people that look like you in a big movie like this really makes you feel seen in a very, like, powered and resonating way. And I think for you and I to be watching the trailer and bawling our eyes out, I can't imagine what the Chinese community will be like sitting there watching such a beautiful animation. Now she lives with a rabbit instead of a husband. <laughs> Good choice. But it wasn't her choice. She didn't try to leave Ho Yi behind. She misses Ho Yi and cries for him every day. And how do you know that? They text. <laughs> One thing I really love about this movie, Susie, is the design of these characters. So beautiful. I love that they have like these cartoonish, exaggerated features, but there's still like a humanity to them that doesn't mm -hmm. feel too cutesy. And when it's combined with like the clothes have this real fabric-like feel and feel very tangible compared to like the simple, blobby, exaggerated characters that you see in this other world. You think Chang'e is real? If your mother says she's real, then she is absolutely real. <laughs> Thank you. Look up. Can you see Jade Rabbit? He's making a potion. Well, I have to say that I did a little bit of a deep dive into this after watching <laughs> the film. And the designs of Chunga, who's the, the beautiful moon goddess, mm. Her costumes were designed by a Chinese couture designer called Guo Pei, and her work is absolutely mm. out of this world. I don't know if you remember, but she did this yellow dress that Rihanna wore on the Met Gala Red Carpet <gasps> a few years ago. How could I ever forget? I know you won't forget, but if you haven't seen it, Google it, because it's the one with the huge velvet-like mm. train spreading out behind her. Look, it made me want to sell my sister so I could <laughs> just afford to wear anything that Guo Pei would make. Oh, yeah, it's gorgeous. That, like, kind of burnt gold colour. I love it. So beautiful. I think, like, speaking of colour, this movie has, like, such an interesting colour palette, and I think that's a great way to distinguish these two worlds. Like, the first world's very naturalistic, very kind of, like, blue and colder colours. A bit muted. A bit muted, subdued, if you will, sombre. And then we get taken to that other world past the moon. It's neon lights, baby. Yeah. It's, like, it's so alive and different, and it kind of feels futuristic, but it's also, like 
in keeping with some of the colours that we see back in the first world. And it's very intense. It's very vibrant. It successfully creates this whole feeling of a new world that is beyond our imagination, that feels like even your eyes has to adjust to the brightness and that intensity of that, like, overexposed lighting. Yeah. It impressed me so much and it really excited me. It's kind of like this brilliant, effective communication to a young audience to have these two things that feel almost like they are a different animation style. It's not just your eyes that have to adjust either, it's your ears too because the music really shifts from one world to the next. So we move from this kind of traditional, maybe orchestral, maybe musical numbers that we hear down on Earth Mm. and then when we head to the moon, it's all about DJ Jade Rabbit, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) It's really pop, it's so different, it's such a gear shift from what we're used Mm. to in animated films. It's a visual and an oral transformation. And this brings me to my favourite, favourite, most beloved film term that there is, Susie. I don't know if I believe you. You've got a lot of favourites of everything. (laughs) Well, this one I love because it's so specific. This is a term called merm. Okay, you're definitely going to have to break this down for me. So merm, which means musically enhanced reality mode, it's about performance. When a character begins in the reality of a film in that naturalistic state and then gradually builds and heightens their performance until eventually they're singing and the film itself is elevated out of grounded reality and into cinematic fantasy. Okay, okay, okay. So there's a character and they start talking and then it builds just from a spoken moment? Yeah, like, you know, there could be two characters talking at a table, not unlike us. And, you know, they're having a conversation and one's just like, you know, I guess I don't really know about that kind of stuff. Maybe I don't really know about anything. Maybe I've never known anything at all in this world. I've travelled my whole life (laughs) thinking of things, trying to remember all of the things that I've learned, but here I am and I don't know. Maybe I've never known at all. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So it feels real when it's happening at the moment. It feels very real. And I think it's like this difficult bridge to cross in like modern cinema because over the last 40 years we've become trained out of accepting the musical as a type of realistic genre. It just doesn't agree with the realism that is the norm in modern movies, like outside of Disney animated movies, really. I think the way that they ease into it in the opening scene of this film is brilliant. By having our characters break into song while a watercolour painting comes to life in another animation style, it's really elegant and a gentle way to introduce the audience to the magic of the musical in this film. And I think it's really appropriate to the themes of the film. There are some emotional issues that are dealt within this movie but what it does really well is it couples the main characters with friendships that have this kind of comic relief a kind of safety net that allow the main character to be brave and to grow and to go on these adventures and the comic relief comes in different ways like it's kind of sprinkled in with the grandpa character who talks about these hairy crabs just Mm. kind of mumbling in the background which I absolutely loved the hairy crab is a burrowing crab known for its furry claws And then it's also dolloped on by the other characters of Chin and Gobi 
And we also see this in other films, like in Frozen, you've got Olaf. In Inside Out, you've got mm. Bing Bong. These really light injections of humour throughout the film. I think it hits on the idea that you were talking about of the safety net. Having these kind of cuddly and silly companions with them helps them on this journey by making it feel sweeter for them. Yeah, totally. But the thing I really want to talk about is how kick-ass Feifei is as the protagonist. She is literally a rocket scientist yeah. in this film. She builds a rocket. So amongst all of the kind of like grief and sadness and parental issues that may have come up at the beginning, you then see this powerhouse Mm. woman building a rocket and actually going to the moon. It's not like, oh, we woke up and it was all a dream. It's not a dream. (laughs) She's a rocket scientist and she's amazing. It's exciting stuff. Same as Spirited Away, same as Wizard of Oz, same as Alice in Wonderland. It's a lot of these stories about like these young women finding their own empowerment. Yeah, and growing really quickly in a situation that is so terrifying. Like at the beginning of Spirited Away, we had this like really feeble kind of terrified child. Mm. By the end of it, she's basically a superhero. Oh, 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 and by the way, I have a superpower. Can you guess what it is? Super annoying. <gasps> I have two superpowers. Someone else who has a superpower in our eyes is producer Michael, and you loved this film. I did indeed love this film. I thought it was such a sweet and wholesome movie. And as you were saying, Alexi, earlier about the representation of this movie, I found it quite astounding that it was a family movie that really approaches representation not in terms of, you know, like box office figures or like tokenism, Mm. but it's genuinely every member of the cast and a majority of the crew are from... Um, a non-white background, and especially from that Asian background. It wasn't trying to dilute this culture into Western culture. It was very much like, this is a movie that features Chinese actors. It's actually set in China Mm. um, and quite accurately tells the story of this mythology. Um, And even those, like, little details, like the bickering family dinner, like all the gossiping aunties, I was like, this is literally my family dinner. (laughs) That's what I really like about this movie, like you're saying, Michael. It's, like, these details that build up to create, like, an authentic experience to immerse you into this world. And it's not just the fantasy world, it's the real world that this movie's set in as well. And like so many of these films, it's, like, the more specific this gets into Chinese culture, the more that everyone sees their own family in that story. Exactly. It's, like, you see yourself on screen because of the specificity not because of, like, general broad Mm. strokes being washed across. Producer Michael, it's always so good having your thoughts on movies. Such a delight. If you like the flavours you have sampled today, then why not follow The Big Film Buffet on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you get new episodes as soon as they drop every single Tuesday. Comment, rate, review, tell your friends, invite your friends. Maybe we'll have them over. What do they eat? Any intolerances? Let us know. (laughs) Send us all the love that you can muster because we'd love to hear it from you. Well, 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 we have come to the time of our feast where we play a little game to cleanse our palates. We are playing a game called Film or Movie, and in this game, producer Michael comes in prepared with a title of a motion picture where Susie and I must declare whether it belongs categorised as a movie or as a film. It's a battle of wits. (laughs) It's a battle of wits. It's a battle of twits. (laughs) Producer Michael, what is a title you've got for us today? It is the Granita of animated musicals. It is Frozen. (gasps) Michael, you say Granita, I say Slurpee. This (gasps) is a movie. And to call it film is heresy, in my opinion. This is a movie because it is 
entirely a commercial endeavor, if you ask me. I go out to the supermarket. I go out there and I see a lemon, and the lemon has got a packaging around it that's got freaking Elsa on there telling me recipes on how to use the lemon. I go to buy my cereal. I see Olaf's head popping around saying, enjoy this crushed up wheat stuff. It is everywhere. This is not even the movie. This is a commercial. Gosh, I I just did not realise how jaded you were because this to me is a piece of cinematic film Mm. about two sisters Mm -hmm. who finally discover not only familial love but self-love. Wow. And that self-love is how I feel about those producers lining those pockets. (laughs) Okay, well, my second point would be the mastery of Adina Menzel. Mm, Movie star. Film legend. Broadway idol. Let that be on the record. You're saying this is a film? That is my argument. Okay, but this film costs $150 million. That's a lot of money. Yes, that's movie money we're talking here. And it raked in even more movie money. $1.28 billion. Okay? Wow. That's a lot of snowflakes. Yeah, that's a lot of snowflakes. But it's not up to me. It's not up to you. Mm -hmm. It's up to producer Michael. Yes. Film or movie? Guess what? I feel like I am actually incredibly won over by the argument that this movie stars Adina Menzel oh, okay. of Uncut Gems fame. Mm, okay. <laughs> it's a film. I surrender to the gems. If you pull the Uncut Gems argument out, I'm always going to surrender to it. <laughs> <laughs> Susie Yusuf, we've come to that time in our meal, the third course, the final course, known as the sweetest of them all, desserts. We have. So if you are still hungry for more of that animated fantasy mm-hmm. film goodness, then can I recommend to you a beautiful film called How to Train Your Dragon? The only problems are the pests. You see, most places have mice or mosquitoes. We have... Dragons. How to Train Your Dragon is about the son of a Viking leader, Shy Hiccup Horrendous Haddock III, who faces a rite of passage. He must kill a dragon to prove his warrior metal. I saw this film for the very first time in a hotel room in London (laughs) and my sister and I were staying there for the night and we bought the film to watch it before we went to bed. No piracy was involved. No piracy was involved. (laughs) And then we woke up the next day, we set alarms to wake up early so we could watch it again before checking out. That's how much we loved it. Wow. I remember seeing this movie in the cinema for the first time. Not how it was intended. The director actually said (laughs) that you should watch this in a hotel in in London London. in pay-per-view twice within 24 hours. (laughs) But I watched it against his wishes in a cinema. And I remember this visceral feeling that I don't think I've ever felt before. And that was the feeling of, holy smokes, I'm flying. (laughs) Another thing that I adore about this movie is that John Powell score, that orchestral score. Oh, my gosh. I've downloaded the soundtrack. It's on my phone. (laughs) I I know what this (laughs) Oh my gosh, you're just sitting there dreaming that you're flying listening to John Powell's score. The other thing that I love, Susie, as well, I love the designs of the dragons. I think they're beautifully designed. They are absolutely beautiful. And I know it's not a competition between who loves this film more, but I do have a coffee table book with the artwork of How to Train Your Dragon. Oh, Susie's brought it with her. I brought it with me. This is an 
absolutely stunning film. I was really surprised by it. I think I was most impressed by the cast because there's so many great grounded dramatic mm. performances in it. Gerard Butler has this very kind of stern Ooh, yeah. but dramatic fatherly role that he plays. And then there's like a little s- sweet comic relief with Kristen Wiig and Craig Ferguson um, mm. in there as well. It's just gorgeous. It's a really tremendous picture. I highly recommend it to anyone. You can either watch it on Netflix or go to a hotel in London and chuck it on the TV there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> love dragons because we have had dragons in every single film on the menu today. We yes. had dragons uh, in Spirited Away. Haku plays a dragon at mm-hmm. one point in that film. There are two dragons in Over the Moon. Um, and historically throughout cinema, dragons can be terrifying or yes. they can be friendly. And the friendly dragon that comes to mind for me is Falcor. Oh, I love Falcor. Falcor from The NeverEnding Story. I mean, my family loved that luck dragon so much that we used to have this big white Irvan, the nine-seater Irvan that we would yeah. drive around in, and we called it Falcor. Completely in love with it. We've got a few extra recommendations for you on this podcast. Yep. If you want, you can go out and buy all of the Studio Ghibli films <laughs> on Blu-ray or watch them all on Netflix. <laughs> They're all there. They're all lovely. Another little thing that I want to give a shout-out to is Cartoon Saloon. It's a new Irish animation studio that I believe is the future, the next Studio Ghibli. Oh, this is a big call, Alexi. I love making these big calls. They make really emotionally resonant animated films. I love their films, The Secret of the Kells and The Song of the Sea, which are both inspired by Irish folklore and mythology. And there's another film, The Breadwinner, which is a little more heavy and not one that I'd recommend for little kids, but everyone of every age would fall in love with Song of the Sea. Okay, beautiful. So to recap today, the starter was The Beautiful Spirited Away, followed by our film du jour, Over the Moon, and we finished with the dessert of How to Train Your Dragon. Susie, what is on the menu for next week? Next week is my favourite of all the genres. It is romantic comedies and the film we are watching is Holiday. Ooh, starring Luke Bracey and... Emma Roberts. That is all from us for this week. Alexi Toliopoulos, goodbye from me. And Susie Yusuf, goodbye from me. And producer Michael, we'll see you next time. See you, Michael. If you want to hear more from me in the meantime, you can head over to Total Reboot, the movie podcast that I host with Cameron James where we talk about reboots, remakes and rip-offs in cinema. This episode was written and hosted by me, Alexi Toliopoulos, and my dear friend, Susie Youssef. Produced by Michael Sonnen and who has bold. Edited by Jeffrey O'Connor. And executive produced by Tony Broderick and Melody Martin. 